scripture today is from Matthew 27, verses 26 through 39. <clears throat> then he released Barabbas to them, and when he, had, when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. When they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off, put his clothes on him, and led him away to be crucified. <clears throat> now as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they had come to a place called Golgotha, that is to say, place of a skull, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink. But when he had tasted it, he would not drink. <clears throat> then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled what, which was spoken to the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Sitting down, they kept watch over him there, and they put him over his head, the, the accusation written against him, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two, two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and another on the left. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads. greatest benefit ever received by humanity happened because of the events that took place outside the walls of Jerusalem around A.D. 30. Paul told the Galatians, Galatians 2 verse 20, he said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He went on to say, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Galatians 5.24 Now Passover was an extremely busy time in Jerusalem. Every Jew wanted to be there for the feast. And the situation was so volatile, in fact, that the Romans reinforced the guard for the occasion. Now imagine the number of people who gathered at that time in Jerusalem. Josephus determined that there were in excess of two million people who came to Jerusalem for that occasion. Now living in Jerusalem proper at that time were about 25,000 people living within the city limits. With that many there, it seems reasonable that a mass of people would have convened on Calvary to see a public execution. A spectacle like the crucifixion. They were like any other group of people. They were going to migrate toward the action. And something critical was happening outside one of the gates of Jerusalem. Of course, on that day, one of the victims is the one who we claim is our Savior. He had gone through the mockery of illegal trials before high priest Annas, Cephas, and then, of course, the Sanhedrin council. He had also been taken before Pilate, before Herod, and then back before Pilate again. That is six trials altogether. He had been beaten with fists. He had been slapped, 
spat upon, had his beard pulled out, Isaiah 50 verse 6, endured the crown of thorns, had the flesh stripped from his back by the scourge and left weak from the loss of blood and the beatings. As he hung above the hateful crowd, their raw nature had been revealed as a people who had not been tempered by the love of God. As he hung there being crucified between two thieves awaiting inevitable death, the physical pain was without doubt excruciating. The nails, the pain, the loneliness, the heart-wrenching sadness of those he loved and, and respected having forsaken him. The utter disregard, the disrespect by those for whom he had provided everything Gone. And those who were there, outside of just a handful of folks, doing the terrible things that they were doing. Through all of that, he still thought of other people. While he could still look, at, look down upon the massive crowd, what did he see from the cross? The title of the sermon this morning is, What Jesus Saw from the Cross. Now the first thing I want us to notice is that he saw a people who needed to be forgiven. That's our first point. Jesus was concerned about those who he saw. Notice what Luke recorded. Luke 23, verse 34, Then, Jesus, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It is important to understand that Jesus did not want them to be forgiven in their sin. He wanted them to be forgiven as they repented of their sins. He and John both had been preaching and teaching repentance prior to his death, and in John's death for that matter, Matthew 3.10 and 4.17. In addition, the people had been misguided by the leaders of the Jewish religion. They were still guilty, but nonetheless, they didn't realize what they were doing. They had been duped into believing that Jesus was a con artist. Prior to that, they had welcomed him into Jerusalem riding upon the colt. They welcomed Him into the city. Nonetheless, Jesus was still concerned for their souls. That was His whole purpose in coming, wasn't it? To seek and to save that which was lost, Luke 19.10. And He continued to do it through His concern, even though the commotion that was happening all around his feet as he looked down upon that massive crowd. Both Matthew and Luke continued saying, and they divided his garments and cast lots. As the Savior of the world was dying upon that cross, they were gambling for his garments. John gave more detail about how the soldiers parted his garments. They didn't want to divide his coat because it was made in one piece without seam. Now it's called a coat in the King James Version, but really it is a tunic, an undergarment. It was, it was worn next to the, to the skin. And so they cast lots for it. They gambled for who would receive it. Of course, in doing so, they fulfilled the prophecy of Psalm 22, verse 18. Jesus looked down upon that hateful crowd and He saw a people who needed to be forgiven but he also saw two felons, one on either side of him. 
Luke recorded in one of the malefactors which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation, and we indeed justly? For we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Luke 23, 39-43. Notice the difference between these two men. The first was his adversary. The first felon was his adversary. He was just like those who were on the ground. He was mocking the Savior If you're the Christ, save yourself, and while you're at it, bring us down off of this cross. He was dying right beside the Savior, yet he he chose to ridicule Him even in His own death. Look around the world. Not a whole lot has changed, has it? People are doing the same things today. They ridicule God even in death. They do it by the way they they live their lives as if He doesn't even exist. You know, I read a story just the other day. I can't recall what state this happened in. I think it was it was in Wyoming. In fact, it was in Casper, Wyoming. A 42-year-old man was sitting in a car. Another man had been driving. They were pulled over by the the Casper Police Department. Two policemen walk up beside the car. One was the trainer. The one on the driver's side was training in his last week of training for the police department. He walks up. He gets the license of the man who was driving. He he doesn't have his license, but he gives him his name and his birth date. The man in the passenger side gives a false name. And as... uh, the, the trainee goes back to his car to run the names. The trainer is talking to the men and he notices the man in the passenger side is acting oddly. He asks the man to get out. The man says, I'm not answering any more questions. Call your supervisor. And he begins to roll up the window. The driver gets out. He raises his hand. He says, I don't have anything to do with this. The other police officer comes back and says, What are you doing? He says, I'm just getting out. I don't have anything to do with this. The trainer opens the door. The passenger jumps over into the driver's side as the trainer has a hold of him, drags him into the car, and he takes off. He has a hold of him. He pulls onto the interstate going the wrong way down the interstate. A tractor-trailer almost hits him. He pulls his gun out. He says, stop or I'm going to shoot you. In the course of a minute and a half, he gives him 72 commands to stop. He fires four times into the body of this man. They look back over his record for kidnapping, for drug sale. He has a laundry list of things. And do you know what they put in this man's obituary? To all who knew, whatever his name is, he, he died the same way he lived, life on the edge. Can you believe that? 
Mocking God all the way to the grave. Mocking God all the way to the grave. Just like the Savior's adversary on the cross. The other man was Jesus' ally. But now he didn't start out that way. Matthew 15.32, they both reviled him at first. But you see, we can change. We can turn our lives around. We don't have to mock God all the way to death. We can change who we are. But the one understood in his death that this man was innocent. Now that's not the way to do it. That's not the way to do it. Waiting until death's door. He recognized though they were supposed to be there. The Christ was innocent. He repented of his treatment of the Savior. Remember me this day. Now people want to use that thief on the cross as a way to be saved today. We can't do that. They were living under the old law. He was hanging on a cross next to the Savior of the world. Now listen, if we find ourselves hanging on a cross next to the Savior of the world, whatever He says goes. That's not going to happen. So we have to do it the way Jesus says to do it today. But that's true today, isn't it? Some will listen, some won't listen. But Jesus has left a message. Some are going to be interested. Some are not going to be interested. But Jesus brought a plan of salvation from heaven. He brought that gospel message, Romans 10, 17. Let's listen to that. Faith comes by hearing that message. Right? Let's repent of past sins. Let's turn to Him, Luke 13, 3. Let's confess His name before others. Acts 8.37 Let's be immersed in water so our sins can be washed away. Acts 22.16 Let's live a faithful life. Let's do that. And then we can be in paradise when we leave this world. Jesus saw a people who needed to be forgiven. He saw two felons. And then He saw two faces in the crowd. That's our third point. He looked down from that cross and Jesus saw His mother. John 19.25 There was a parent. Evidently His earthly father had passed but His mother still lived. He knew how much she loved Him. He knew how broken hearted she was to see her oldest child being treated the way He was being treated. Jesus had honored His parents through His life. God had demanded that throughout the Old Testament. He demands it today. Paul told those in Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 6, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. You see, parents are to rear their children in the nurture and the admonition to understand the power and the love of God. It's part of a father's duty in caring for his household. That's why Paul told Timothy, 1 Timothy 5, verse 8, but if any provide not for his own, especially 
For those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. That goes beyond the finances. That goes beyond finances. We're to bring our children up understanding the love and the power of God. But Jesus also looked out and He saw His partner in the work. He saw the the face of His beloved friend. He saw a broken-hearted friend and probably the closest earthly friend He had in this life. And He also knew the duty of the oldest son to take care of a widowed mother. And He knew John needed a way to demonstrate His love in this life. And He looked down upon those two faces and He said, John 19, 26-27, He said, Woman, behold thy son, and behold thy mother. And writing in the third person, John wrote, saying, And from that hour, that disciple took her into his own home. And he cared for her as if it was his own mother. Just like Jesus, even in an hour of pain and discomfort, we can serve, we can minister, and we can make a difference. Jesus saw a people who needed to be forgiven. He saw two felons. He saw two faces. And then He looked back to former times. And He saw all the people who had been faithful being permanently cleansed because of His sacrifice. You see, Jesus paid a debt no one was able to pay. Let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 9 and look at verses 11 through 15. The writer of Hebrews said, But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and a more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood He entered in once into the holy place having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause He is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. You see, all those righteous people of the Old Testament, we can look back to Job and Noah and Abraham and David and Solomon and all those, all the way up to the cross. Through their sacrifices, You see, all they did was pay the interest on sin. They couldn't pay for sin. All of those sacrifices, they paid the interest on the debt they owed. It kept coming back over and over and over. But they had to do it. If they were going to be faithful under those dispensations, under the patriarchal and the law of Moses, if they were going to be righteous in the sight of God, they had to follow those laws. But as Jesus hung on that cross, He looked back to Adam. He looked back to Abel. He looked back 
to Abel offering the firstling of his flock, Genesis 4, 4, and he was pleased by him. But he was just paying the, the interest. He wasn't taking sin out of the way. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin, Hebrews 10, 4. But when Jesus died that day, as He was looking down and looking back, He paid the principal in full. He removed the sin debt they owed for all the Old Testament faithful. It was gone. It was wiped out of the way. Adam and Eve's sins were removed that day. Abel's sins were removed. Noah's sins were removed. Job's sins were removed. Abraham's sins were removed. The blood of the cross flowed back. It flowed down. We know that to be true because Jesus walked out of that tomb three days later, Matthew 28, verse 6. And the angels of heaven rejoiced. Then Jesus looked. And He saw into the future. And He looked at us. And He saw our position. The writer of Hebrews said, Hebrews 9, beginning with verse 26, For then must He often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once... In the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after that this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. A few verses before that he affirmed, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Hebrews 9.22 You see, He did that for each of us. He looked into the future and He saw our position. Let's let that sink in for just a moment. He suffered. He suffered so we could crawl out of the cesspool of sin. So we could come to ourselves. Luke 15.17 So we could walk in the light. 1 John 1, 7. Have you ever walked out of the darkness and into the sunshine and felt that upon your face? Isn't that enough for anyone? You see, His blood has the cleansing power to move any person from the position of sin into the glory of heaven. His blood has the power to cleanse every sin ever committed from Genesis chapter 3 when the first sin was committed to the last sin committed into the future until the time that He returns. You see, eternally speaking, we're no match for sin. We cannot cleanse ourselves by ourselves. Only by the blood given freely on that day outside of the walls of Jerusalem can we stand justified in the presence of God. But once having obeyed the gospel plan of salvation, that can happen. Remember this. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven 
and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin, Romans 4, 7 through 8. All because of what Jesus did and saw from the cross that day. When He was on the cross, we were on His mind. Jesus cared enough to go to the cross for you and for me. The question is this. Will we care enough to go to the cross to meet Him? He told the world, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, John 14, 6. He is the only way, and it must be His way. It isn't my way or anyone else's way. It's His way. John affirmed, for this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. If you've never obeyed the gospel, do that today. We talked about how. If you've fallen away, come back to Him through repentance and prayer and confession. But do that. Let's meet at the cross as we stand and as we sing.